Uh, go ahead and get your Bibles out and open to Matthew chapter 2. Well, if I haven't had the privilege to meet you, I know we've got a couple of guests with us today. My name is Ken DeLay, serve as one of the pastors here. Thanks for being with us this morning on uh, what I guess is Christmas Sunday. I suppose this is Christmas Sunday. Thank you for joining us. You're joining us in the at the very beginning, really, of a new series that we're doing entitled A King Like No Other. And we're working our way through the book of the Bible, uh, Matthew. And we're still, uh, we're just starting Matthew chapter 2 this morning, which is great because it puts us right into one of the Christmas stories that the, that the scriptures give us. So go ahead and open your Bible, if you would, to Matthew chapter 2. Well, I'm sure you've experienced this. You're probably experiencing this right now, that Christmas has a way of coming whether you're ready or not. You know what I'm saying? Now, the good news is there's like 367 shopping days left till next year's Christmas, right? So here we are. It's, it's time. Uh, whether, you're, whether you're ready or not, whether you're prepared or not, Christmas has a way of coming. And, you know, I'm, I'm aware that for many, Christmas... Uh, brings up just difficulty. It, it's a reminder of, of loneliness. It's a reminder of, of loss. It's a reminder of difficulty. Uh, church, as we celebrate today and on Tuesday night, let's remember that about each other and, and, and bear one another's burdens even as we celebrate together uh, this, this glorious season, the coming of Christ. Um, but, you know, I've found that there's kind of a, a spiritual challenge oftentimes too with Christmas, and it, it's a bit like this, you know. Everybody around me seems really excited to be worshiping Jesus for his coming. And it's like almost like a river that just kind of floods in. Oh boy, let's be excited. And my own heart can be slow to catch up with that. Like I'm standing in the middle of the river dry. Everybody else around me is experiencing this kind of intensity of worship. I really ex- appreciated what Philip had to say this morning, just pointing us to the reality that, that Christ is here today to refresh our hearts, uh, that the Spirit is here today, that we could be given a fresh appreciation for who Christ is, because that's, that's where worship comes from, is from seeing Christ afresh. The passage before us in Matthew chapter 2 is about worshiping Jesus. It's about the coming of Jesus, but it presents three different pictures of worship uh, that were exhibited in that first Christmas, at, at the first coming uh, of Christ. So, so let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the first 12 verses together and just considering worship. Matthew 2 verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. 
when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. God's word. Let's pray. Father, I ask that as we consider your word, that you would grant us the gift of your spirit. Grant me the gift of your spirit to proclaim your word with with clarity, accuracy. Lord, grant each of us the gift of your spirit that we would hear and, and apply, that we'd be affected by your word. Lord, grant us fresh vision of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be considering the, the passage and, and really looking at these three different kinds of worship that we see in Matthew chapter 2. And the first is false worship. False worship. So it's a, it's a, similar, it's a familiar story, right? So the, the wise men, magi, they come from the east following the star. And, and they come to, to Jerusalem to look for the, the one who has been born king of the Jews. Now, as people think about this star, people have been very interested in this. Uh, for for as long as since it's happened, right? People wonder, like, well, what was this star? Was it a star star? Was it some sort of a meteor thing? Was it an alignment of planets? I guess there was actually some alignment of planets in about the year 6 B.C. to 4 B.C., about the time that Christ was being born. A lot of folks think that that's what it is. And I I find these things interesting, but, but I also, I, I stop short uh, on, on one point, and that is we really don't need to feel any obligation as believers to find a, a natural uh, explanation for what we see in our Bibles because we don't serve a natural God. We serve a supernatural God. How bizarre would it be to insist on finding a natural solution to this star while believing in the virgin birth? Right? You know what I mean? Like we serve a supernatural God. And so however God did this, he could have arranged the planets. He could have moved a star. He could have created a temporary one-time only star for this particular event. However he did it, he bent his creation so that it would proclaim the coming of his son. That's pretty neat. That's what he did. So they, so they go to the place where you would expect the king of the Jews to be, which is Jerusalem, right? It was the political, the religious capital of the day. And they get there, and there's no king. Actually, there, there was a king, and his name was Herod. Not the king they were looking for. But he was happy to hear from them. As they began to tell their story of a king that was born, they didn't know that they were telling it into the ears of one who was absolutely paranoid about keeping his reign. This man had already killed many members of his own family. Uh, to keep any whispers of people that would try to take over from from him. But he was a he was an evil man. He was successful at getting and maintaining power, but but he was he was cruel along the way. So as soon as he hears this, he's greatly troubled. And so he calls the religious leaders together. And so they, they come in and he says, Hey, so what's going on? Tell me about this. You know? They said, Well, Bethlehem. He's going to be born in, in Bethlehem. And so this is what Herod says to the Magi. He says, after you have found him, bring me word 
that I too may come and worship him. I want to worship him just like you. It's false worship. Herod had, had no interest whatsoever in worshiping Jesus. What was it that made true worship impossible and false worship inevitable in King Herod? It was, a, it was a king-sized pride in King Herod that did that. It was that determination that I will be king and no one else. No one else will be king because I am king. His pride ruled out any possibility of worshiping one born king. He didn't perceive the coming of Christ as good news. He perceived it as a threat. You know, Herod may have been the first to respond to Jesus this way, but he's certainly not the last. Because Jesus really did come to be king. And for every person that fancies themselves to be their own autocrat, it's bad news that Jesus came, proclaiming himself to be king. Friend, that that reality, that drive that, let's be honest, we all have on some level in our heart. That drive to be our own master, to be our own king, to bow the knee to no one. If, if, if you're here this morning and, and you've never turned to the Lord, if you don't know the Lord, let me just challenge you. Take a look, take a look in your heart and tell me if, if you might see a little bit of Herod in there. That, no, I don't want to bow before Jesus. It is that it is that pride which would keep us from God, as it kept Herod from God. In fact, blind to the coming of Christ and what it really meant. You know, even if you followed Christ for a long time, we still have that old man inside of us, that that little bit of Herod inside of us that can begrudge the rule of Christ that chase under the reign of Christ or tires of his discipline in our lives. Friends, Herod is no friend of Jesus. It's no friend of worship either. As we we gather to worship on Christmas, let, let us put that old man to death inside of us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's be about submitting to the kingship of Christ. There's no worship apart from submitting. This is step one to worship. You can't worship the one you're not willing to submit to. So friend, let's be, let's be about submitting to Christ afresh this Christmas. So number one, false worship. Number two, theoretical worship. Theoretical worship. So, so the wise men, they show up in, in Jerusalem. They ask the king about the, uh, the, the coming Messiah. And and they say, hey, you know, we're here to see the king of the Jews. You know the most remarkable thing about the the reception they got? The dumb look on everybody's face. You're here for what? You're the king, the the one born king. So here are these Gentiles, not from the people of God, coming from this far, far distance to the people of God, to I, I don't know the Jews. To celebrate the one who's been born the king of the Jews. And even the religious leaders have no idea. Clueless. Huh? What? We didn't know that. Somebody's been born? 
And so it's like the Magi kind of stand, like, who are, what? How do these people not know? So then they, they get along to asking, so can you give us some direction? Do you know? And then it's like they all kind of, oh, yeah, well, Micah 5 2. I can quote to you, Micah 5 2. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So yeah, he should be born in Bethlehem. I know the chapter and the verse. You know, it might interest you to know, I got a 100% on my Pharisee SAT. <laughs> so here's the picture. We've got some Gentiles outside the people of God. The Jews look down on them coming from a far distance to seek the king. They bring the news of the king to the religious leaders of the day who didn't know. And what did the religious leaders do? They quote their Bibles and then fade out of the story. Ought they not to have followed the Magi? What were they thinking? Jesus had just been born and they couldn't be bothered. You know how far it is to get from Jerusalem over to Bethlehem? A massive five miles. Five miles. Even walking a half day's journey. And they couldn't be bothered to go and even find out who is this one who's been born king of the Jews. See, they only had a theoretical worship. This was not a genuine worship. It was a theoretical worship. They knew their Bibles, but they didn't know their need for God. They did not know their need. Me, I'm good. I'm fine. I've got it figured out. I know how to kind of navigate my way through the law. And so they're indifferent to Jesus and dismissive of Jesus and unconvinced about Jesus. They didn't picture themselves as, as opposing God like the evil King Herod. You know, we're the good guys. We, we, don't, we don't oppose God. But notice the outcome from both. Because neither Herod nor they went and worshipped. And in fact, what we'll, what we'll see next week is that Herod is going to try and fail to kill Jesus. Well, they're going to try and succeed killing Jesus. This is going to take a little bit longer. The fact is, theoretical worship is no closer to God than false worship. It's just as false as false worship. Theoretical worship, knowing all about God, putting on a good show, keeping the rules, real concern for godliness, yet never actually worshiping Jesus' friends. This danger is in the church. We all have that Herod inside us. We've all got that Pharisee inside us too. The one that can get all about what we know about Christianity and miss the one that Christianity is about, Jesus. That can kind of do everything except actually worshiping Him. Praise God for, again, for that word this morning. That the Holy Spirit would be here to reveal Christ afresh. That we could worship Him afresh. I know most of the kids 
go back to children's ministry. Some are here. Kids, you listening? Preteens, teens? Have I got you? Listen, it is easy to look like a Christian without being one. Especially if you grow up here. It's a unique danger to growing up in the church. Because you just, you just, you learn the gospel from mom and dad. You keep the rules because it's better for you when you keep the rules. You know what I'm saying? And there's no heart change. Do not be content with theoretical worship. Don't be content with that. Don't be content with showing off your own righteousness. If anybody's here and you've not known your need for Jesus, I pray that you would know your need for him today. Because that's what, that's what Christmas is about. He came for those who, who needed him. And knowing your Bible will not save you. Knowing truth will not save you. Knowing Jesus will save you. And he is only known by those who know that they need him. That's, that's the key. That's the key. And you know, for those of us that do know him, how easy is it to forget our need? For me, that's where a lot of the disconnect between the external joy of Christmas and where I'm at can often happen. Because I read the story again. I've read it before. You know what I'm saying? I read it again of his coming to meet my need, and I don't put next to it my need. Right? And if I'm just reading about this and it's not connected to me, there's just no, there's no joy, there's no excitement, there's no praise welling up from my heart. But friend, if, if, if afresh you can see your need for the Lord and see the Lord providing for it, that's, that's where worship grows. That's where praise comes from. So may, may God open our eyes afresh, each of us here, to see our need and to experience Christ meeting our need this season. All right, so false worship, theoretical worship, and finally, joyful worship. Joyful worship. So after the, the stop in Jerusalem, the uh, Magi head on down to Bethlehem, and the star comes to rest right over where the child is, and they worshiped. And I want us to notice the worship of the Magi this morning. So they worshipped, as you all know, by giving gold and frankincense and myrrh, right? Probably the three most famous gifts ever given, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Every kid can tell you. They, don't, they couldn't tell you what those things are, but they could tell you that those are the names of the gifts, right? But the, but the point of those gifts is just their incredible value. These were kingly gifts, gifts worthy of, of royalty, whom they were visiting. So when the Magi came, their, their worship was a kind of a costly worship. These weren't guys that kind of just gave God the leftovers, that offered, you know, kind of blemished sacrifices to God. They brought their very best to Jesus. And they didn't begrudge the gift. We don't see them here sort of sorry that worship is so expensive. That God requires them. No, they are, they are joyful. They are rejoicing exceedingly as they pour out before Jesus 
their very treasure. Friend, true worship is always costly. And it doesn't mind the cost. It's, it's glad to offer unto God what is best. All that we have, all that we hope, all that we dream, all that we possess, all that we are, just poured out for Him. That's, that's the heart of true worship. True worship is willing to forsake Herod inside and to submit to the kingship of Jesus where it hurts. True worship is willing to give up its own sense of righteousness, that Pharisee inside, get on its knees afresh and say, I still need you today like I did so many days ago. True worship is is a costly worship where we bring our treasure to Him. But I want us to notice again the gift, the worship of the Magi, because when they when they came, they came humbly. These guys were dignified, right? We don't know exactly what a Magi was other than a, it's a dignified position. They probably came with an entourage. They obviously came with nice gifts, right? And these, these guys, they come into the home, and what do we see these dignified men doing, but getting down on their knees and putting their faces in the dust before this king. They were humbled before him, worshiping him on the ground. When was the last time you were actually on your knees before Jesus? Was last. I, I know there are some in here that physically you can't really do that. And for you, I'd say, then praise God. He, he looks at the posture of our heart, not the posture of our frame. But if, but if your frame is able, can, can we really say our heart is there if our body never is? You know, what, what does humility look like? Perhaps just you know. In that quiet place, worshiping God in your own room, wherever that is. Maybe it's in the congregation gathered. And I think the pews make it hard to kneel. But we've got aisles, room in the back, there's room in the front. And I know, I know there's this thought of people watching. But God, help us remember that you're watching. You know? This isn't about my dignity, but yours, about your glory, about your honor, about the fact that you are actually worthy of my worship. May God give us that humility as we worship him. I want us to notice the worship of the Magi. They were giving a costly worship and a humble worship, and boy, were they given a joyful worship. They were worshiping God with gladness in their hearts. So verse 10 is an interesting one. It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, if you, if you look at this in the original language, it's like the words are tripping over themselves to try to get out of their own way, to try to explain just how big their joy is. All right? It's, it's, it's a lot of, of words stuffed in. So if you kind of do a wooden translation of it, they rejoiced with joy exceedingly vehemently, just stacking things up. 
They rejoice with joy exceedingly vehemently. I think ours does a pretty good job in the way that it translates it. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I never use a phrase like that. I think if you say you rejoiced, it assumes that you did it with joy. Like, isn't that redundant? That's the whole point. It was redundant because these guys were so thrilled to get to worship Jesus that words can hardly tell of where they were. They could not believe that they got to do this. Oh my, who would have thought that the best moment of my life would be with my face in the dust in some faraway land? And here I am, and I get to worship him. Oh, what joy this was to them. They were captivated by Jesus. And I think about these guys. What did they even know of him? You know? I mean, it seems to me impossible that they would have conceived that he would go to the cross and die for sin. Seems to me unlikely that they would know that he's the son of the living God. Doesn't talk about that. They knew he was born king of the Jews. And they knew that his, his reign was beyond the Jews. That's why they were there. They knew it was universally significant. But I think their Christology, what they knew about Jesus, was probably pretty small. But I tell you what, they loved what they saw. Oh, what they had of Jesus, they had of Jesus. May that be true for us, whose knowledge about Christ goes far beyond what the wise men have seen. Oh, that we would love him like they loved him. Theirs was a warm doctrine, one that was alive in their hearts. Not, not some kind of a cold textbook reality, but a, but a warm fire that, that burned within them, that just gave them joy to worship. So, friend, if the, if the word joy is difficult. But for me, the, the, the problem has often been that I try to bring joy to, to Jesus. Friend, I think, I think we're supposed to find our joy in Jesus. That, that's the difference. We don't bring our joy to Him. Find our joy right there in Him. I, I think that's the, that's the challenge for us this season is to come afresh to Christ. To behold Him afresh. To, to worship Him afresh. Take time to meditate on Him. When you read the story with your family on Christmas morning, on your own, or as we're gathered right now, meditating on Him and having our hearts stirred afresh, who He is, at His goodness to us, we would worship Him. It, joy percolates up in the heart and soul that, that is aware of the true Christ. It's aware of the living Christ. Like this, uh, these old coffee pots, right? With a little percolation is happening, right? Joy just kind of percolating, bubbling up in, in the soul. So friend, I think the, the call this morning from this passage is essentially that we would join the wise men. That we would join them in our worship of Christ. That we would put aside those tendencies in our own heart that would keep us from worship, either that False worship from making ourselves king or a theoretical worship that's content to stop with knowledge and not knowing Jesus. Rather to press, to press in, to press in to know him, to find our joy in him, to find the praise welling up in us from who he is. May God grant that to you. Amen.
May God grant that to this, our dear church, this season, that we would be a, a church captivated by Jesus, joyful in Jesus, worshiping Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your spirit here revealing Christ afresh to us, and I pray that you would continue that good work in each heart here. Lord, if there are any that have never turned to you and known you before, I pray that you would open their eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Turn them to you. And Lord, for for each of us as we walk through this season, may we be aware of our need for you and aware of our need being met in you. You would fill us with joy and with worship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.